Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here. Uh, it, is, it is an honor to be here. It's a joy to be here. I'm grateful for the opportunity to share God's word with you. I feel very much like the pastor who this little boy came out after the service, and he said, hey, pastor, when I grow up, I'm going to give you some money. And he said, why in the world are you going to give me money? He said, because my daddy said, you're the poorest preacher we ever had. And sometimes I feel that way about myself, but God's word is alive and active. And I would invite you to grab your Bible and turn to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Philippians chapter 4. I want to talk to you today about the marks of a Christian. You know, as we think about our lives, our scars and our marks, they tell a story. And I grew up a little bit rough. I grew up in the country in North Florida, and we did a lot of things that we probably should not have done, and I got myself in trouble. I remember dunking a basketball off of a van one day, and I dunked the basketball, but the rim shot me back up, and I hit the ground and broke my arm. A couple years later, I was playing football and broke that same arm, and I got a big old knot on it as a scar, as a reminder I remember as a kid, a big old German shepherd dog chased me, and man, he bit me in my shoulder blade. I got a big old scar on my shoulder blade. I've had stitches far too many times to count. And I also remember at the age of 15, I told my brother, I said, man, I want to get a tattoo. And he said, okay, I'll carry you to get a tattoo. He was 16, but he knew a fella, and his name was Fester. Yes, the tattoo looks about the way you would imagine that it looks, but it certainly is a reminder of where I have been. And the point is, our marks, our scars tell a story. In our text today, we see that our, our story should be told as believers by the way that we live our lives. What marks us? What story does our lives tell? What do we reflect Philippians 4, 1 through 8 is a call to Christian steadfastness, and Paul is writing the Philippians to encourage them towards joy in Christ, even in the midst of hardship. I want you to know today, I want to remind you of this, it is not the Lord's will that his people are slothful in their zeal. We see this in Romans chapter 12. Further, we see in Romans 12 that it is the Lord's will that his people are fervent in Spirit. This means that what ought to mark us as believers in Jesus is strength, steadiness, confidence. These things should mark us as believers in Jesus. And Paul, as he's writing Philippi, shows us how we are to be marked. And he also shows us some things that we should not be marked by. So if you're willing and able, please stand in honor of reading the Word of God. We'll look at Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. If you have found your place, we say amen. Here we go. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I love this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And in this a beautiful promise, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts 
and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'll bless both the reading and the proclamation of your word today. We pray this in the powerful and in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen and amen. You may be seated. So as we open this word, we see what we are to be marked by. And first, Paul says, rejoice always. We are to be marked with a spirit of joy. You know, always means right now. Even now, as you are in chapel, as you're walking through seminary, walking through life, man, you are to walk in joy. Now, be reminded, Paul is in prison as he is pinning these words. We learn from that that his joy was not based upon blind optimism or even having a positive mental attitude as much as it was the confidence that he had in the Lord. He was confident in the Lord's providential and sovereign care. And because of that confidence, he could walk in joy. You know, the joy of the Lord is our strength. When Israel was downtrodden because of their sins, they were reminded that the joy of the Lord is their strength. And you and I need to be reminded today that we have so much to be joyful over. We ought to be grateful for God's abundant mercy in our lives. We are all debtors to mercy. And our Lord, according to John 1, has given us grace upon grace. Come on, somebody, this is good news. And so when we think about what God has done in us, it ought to cause us to rejoice. I think about my life. Right before I graduated high school, the Lord changed me. You think about your life. Think about your salvation story. I'm reminded of when the Lord reached down and saved me from my sin. I was engaged and involved in so many things, man, that I shouldn't have been. And God has loved me even in the midst of my sin while I was yet an enemy He loved me and he saved me. And I think about that and I'm grateful. I continue on, man. I I grew up in a small nowhere town in North Florida. None of my family has ever even thought about college. But by God's grace, I got a baseball scholarship to North Florida. And I went on to play baseball. And I promise you, I showed up to that campus. And I didn't know what a college credit hour was, truthfully. And my coach, he signed me up for 18 credit hours my first semester. He was my academic advisor. I said, Coach, I don't know what a credit hour is, man, but everybody else is taking a far less. He said, man, I've seen your high school transcripts, and you've got to have 12 hours to be eligible, and I ain't so confident you're going to make it. So he signed me up for two filler classes. One was ceramics one, and the other was ceramics two. I took pottery in college. And I think about that and how far the Lord has brought me. I mean, today I have a doctorate degree from New Orleans, and that's simply proof that anybody can do it. That fence is low enough for anybody to jump over if you would only believe, if you would only trust. But look at what God has done in your life. Look at what God has done in my life. While I was in college, I met my then future wife, and she was lost. She was addicted to drugs. She was dependent upon alcohol. She had had multiple abortions at that time in her life, and she felt worthless. And you know what? I can relate to her because I've been there. 
And all the Lord used me to do was to simply point to what Christ has done in me. And man, she gave her life to Jesus. She is a new creation in him. And she's real pretty. And we've been married almost 18 years. Come on. And we've got two good kids. And then we have that third one. The Lord's been good to me. And when I was a senior in high school, I told my English teacher, she wanted me to give a presentation. I said, I ain't doing it. I'm scared to get in front of the class. And she said, well, I'm going to fail you. I said, I failed before. I don't care. And she ended up passing me. I think she didn't want to see me again in summer school. But I remember that. And I know now that every week I preach to a lot of people. The Lord's been good to me. And he can use anything. He can use anything for his glory. I say all of that in no way to turn the spotlight on to me, but to help you to remind yourself of what you ought to be joyful over. I'm very much a nobody, but God has done a work in me, and redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. And I would say this to you. If you are here today and you've never seen the Lord work in your life and you don't have anything to rejoice over, you don't have a song to sing, then maybe don't waste the air. But brother and sister, if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you've got a song to sing and thunderous praise ought to erupt from us because his mercy endures forever and he is good. We ought to rejoice. And can I say, we are at a seminary. We ought to lead the way in this because knowing what we know theologically, we have much to be thankful for. I love what Spurgeon once said. He said, I do not think the church rejoices enough. We certainly grumble enough and we groan enough, but few of us rejoice enough. As the psalmist has said, delight thyself in the Lord. I'm not talking about manufacturing disingenuous joy i'm talking about really knowing what god has done in us and the hope that we have in christ you know what paul knew paul knew that joy is something that happens in us it's not necessarily something that happens to us for if joy is something that happens in us then what happens to us cannot sway our joy why because we have this inward joy that can't nothing in this world touch and let me be clear we don't always understand our circumstances and the reality is we can't always rejoice in our circumstances but hear me today we can always rejoice in him and today I just want to remind you we have much to be joyful over and we ought to be marked with joy Paul says this to the Philippians and he continues on in verse 5 and he says let your reasonableness be known to all this means that we are not to be easily angered we are not to be foolish. We are to be sweetly reasonable. This is forbearing grace. This is a big heartedness, if you will. You have a gentle spirit. You are wise. You handle difficulties and disagreements with great humility and great care. I don't know about you, but I want that type of attitude. And the reason I want that type of attitude is because you are a stable person when you are marked with that type of humility. You know, greatness is never so glorious as when it takes the place of lowliness. We see this theme throughout the Word, and we see this greatest example in Christ. A.W. Pink once said, oh, that we may never lose our sense of wonderment at the infinite condescension of God's Son and in Philippians 2, we, say the, we see the great hymn of having this mind of Christ who emptied himself, gave himself, so that we could ultimately have freedom in him. 
You know, humility is of great value in the sight of God, and humility has always had a prominent place in the men and women that God has used greatly. And Paul reminds the Philippian church, even though I know this is always hard, remember, church, the Lord is at hand, which means he's going to take care of every wrong at his return, and we can trust him to make all things right in this fallen apart world. And then in verse 6, he says something that I really love because I can relate so well to this. He says in verse 6, do not be anxious. Hey, can I ask you a question? Anybody in here ever struggle with worry or anxiety? Come on. There are very few of us who are strangers to the reality of anxiety and worry. The tensions of anxiety are real, and we often find ourselves being pulled apart by worry. You know, the truth is, in my own life, I've been ripped apart by worry. When I was born, I was over a 10-pound baby. I had the umbilical cord wrapped around my neck. And when I was born, the doctor looked at my mama and said, that, that baby's an anxious baby. And you know what? He was right. And it never went away. And even as a believer, even as a father of Christ, I still contend with those moments where anxiety gets the best of me. And worry gets the best of me. And fretting gets the best of me. And fear gets the best of me. And I'm reminded of texts like 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. And I'm reminded of the words of Jesus that says, Come to me if you're weary, if you're heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. But you know anxiety has marked me in all kinds of ways. You know that life can be tough. You've got church things and family things and health things and finance things and school things and life things. So in no way am I being cavalier or dismissive towards the things that you are anxious over or worrying about. But can I just tell you this in my own experience? Because I know that anxiety has, has riddled me and I could give you example after example. Can I just tell you what I've learned? I've learned that anxiety is a thief. The enemy wants to use it to hem us up and to mark us. Why? Because he has come to kill, steal, and destroy. But can we be reminded today, the greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Now understand there's a physiological side to this where medical help is necessary and counseling is good. But as a general rule, can we just understand that the Lord is greater than our fears? The Lord is greater than our anxiety. The Lord is greater than I worry. You know, it would kill me as a dad to know that my three youngins are worried about where they're going to get their food from. It would kill me as a dad to know that my three youngins are worried about where they're going to get their clothes from. Or on a cold night, if they're going to be kept warm in the house. It would kill me as a dad to know that they're worried about that. Why? Because that's my responsibility. And can we say this, that when we are anxious, it's often an intrusion into an arena that alone belongs to God. He is the father that cares for his sons and daughters, and we can trust in him. So don't worry, man. Don't worry. Don't be marked by that. Don't be marked by anxiety. Don't be marked by worry. And I love the previous verse. It also reminds us that the Lord is near in, in, in this sense of, God, we feel your presence. God, you've given us the gift of the Holy Spirit in us. God, we, we know you're near. So God, when I am worried, when I am tensed up, when I have this angst about me, God, I'm reminded that you are near. 
When I was in high school, man, I never played golf before, and we got these golf clubs from a yard sale, and had my dad, who was rough, man, at that time, he was a bouncer in a bar, and he had done some boxing, and he's a big old 6'5", 300-pound man. He went with us. It was me. It was my brother, who was also rough, my cousin, who was also kind of rough. And we, we went out, and we went to town. We from the country. We went to town close to the University of Florida, and we played golf. And it went about the way you would think it would go. I hit that first shot, and the fairways here, I hit it two fairways over. The rest of our crew, they were somewhere else. I, and I scurry on over, and I go to find my ball, and I pick up a ball. And about the time I pick it up, there's some college students, and they start yelling at me. Lots of expletives. They said, does that ball say so-and-so on it? I said, yeah, that's what it says. They said, that's my ball, and you need to pay attention before you pick up somebody else's ball. And I looked at it, and at this time, man, I had a pretty good arm. You know, I went to college to pitch. I said, you mean this ball is your ball? And they said, yeah, that's ours. And I crow-hopped that mug, and I threw it into the swamp. True story. By that time, they start coming my way, and my dad heard the ruckus from over the hill, and here he comes, this big old man who was rough. He was not a believer, and he's coming over this hill, and he throws his sunglasses off. He's like, we got a problem. He was ready as an old man, grown man. He was ready to go, and they backed off real quick, but you know, at that point, I bowed up. I was like, yeah, I was scared at first until my dad came, and I was like, yeah, y'all ready? You know, like, why? Because my daddy was near. He's a big old man, and I knew that my daddy could handle it. Hey, can I tell you this today? The Lord is near in the midst of your worry, and he knows what you're going through. He knows what you feel. He knows the heartache, the difficulty that you're facing, and he is near. Be reminded today that the Lord is near. So what should we be anxious about? According to our text, be anxious about nothing, but what, we, what are we to do with this? We are to pray about everything. So do not be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. How do we pray? Well, Paul wrote that everything is the proper subject matter of our prayer life. There is nothing that God is not concerned about. So you can come to the Lord with anything, literally anything, and he cares for you. He wants you to bring it to him. John Bunyan once said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Pray often, for prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge to Satan. That reminds me of when David prayed whenever his son Absalom was chasing him in order to take his life. And he said in Psalm 3, verse 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. Martin Luther said, to be Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. So brother and sister, what should mark you today? What should mark you is thanksgiving. What should mark you is prayer. What should mark you is joy. Because in everything, as we see here in verse 6, we are to be thankful. There is so much to be thankful for. And what should, we, what should we be thankful for most? We should be grateful for the substitutionary atoning death of Christ on the cross that has been provided for us. And we should give thanksgiving in our heart always for what God has done for us. And the truth is this. The best version of yourself is a thankful and grateful you. Be thankful today. Don't just be thankful about some things. Be thankful about all things. Be thankful 
Be thankful. Why? Because I'm not going to be worried. I'm not going to be fearful because my God has the whole world in his hands and I can trust him. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray about everything and I'm going to do that with a heart of thanksgiving. And you know what? It's easy for us to be selfish and to be entitled. It's difficult sometimes to be grateful and to be humble. So fight for it. Fight for that humility. Fight for that gratefulness. Fight for that thankfulness. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, it is only with gratitude that life becomes, hear me, rich. Be grateful today. Be thankful today. Be marked by this. We see in verse 7 a promise of peace. There's a big promise here, and it's a promise of divine insulation. How did Paul not lose heart in the sufferings and the hardship that he faced? Just think about it. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. He was beaten. He was snake-bitten, for heaven's sake. Come on, somebody. You ever been snake-bitten? And in the midst of this, he calls for joy, and he calls for peace that can only come from God. He knew 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to be true. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. He can rejoice in hope. He can be patient in tribulation. He can be constant in prayer. Why? Because the peace that came from God alone And this peace is not a senseless peace, but we can't always articulate it. We can experience it. God, give me that peace. I know, Lord, I'm walking through a valley. I know I'm walking through hardship. I know I'm walking through pain. We've all had difficult things in our life, and I'm in no way trying to lessen what you've gone through. But can I tell you this? The Lord can give you a peace in the midst of the pain. That's why as the church suffers persecution, God can give them peace peace in the midst of the pain. God can give them what they need. It's supernatural. And I want to tell you today that we can have his peace. It's just like the boy that was shipwrecked and he was clinging to a rock all night. And when his rescuers saw him, they asked the question, did you tremble all night? And the boy looked at him and said, yes, I trembled all night, but the rock didn't. And can I tell you today, the rock won't move. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking Sand, you need to know today that you have a solid rock, a firm foundation, a giver of grace and peace, a grace that is greater than all of our sin, a grace that is greater than all of our worries, a grace that is greater than all of our fears, a grace that is greater than all of our circumstances, and a grace that is seen in the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, omnicompetent God who is utterly composed and utterly contented, this God of all peace. And it is upon him that we stand strong. So we can have peace from our God, and this gift of peace is such a gift. Why? Because it guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. This should mark us. This is a military word. It's something that God grants us, and it keeps us from reeling in in worry and in angst and confusion and fickleness. Why? Because it's guarding us. The peace of God is guarding us. And lastly, Paul says here to think on these things. We need to be marked by setting our minds in the right place. This is more than replacement therapy or simply positive thinking. We are to meditate on the things that give glory to God. We have so much opportunity to fill our minds with things that will contribute to our worry and fear and bitterness and lack of peace and lack of joy. But we are to push those aside, take every thought captive and meditate on the things that give God. So I ask you, what is your life marked by? When someone looks at your life, what is your life speaking? Do you have joy? Do you have peace? Are you a man or a woman of prayer? Are you thankful? Are you 
thankful? Are you pushing against the worry and saying, God, I'm not going to let this worry be a thief in my life because you have promised that I could come to you and I could trust in you. I read a story of a gentleman that was walking one day in the east end of the city of Glasgow. The streets were so narrow, the houses were so high that there was little direct sunshine. One day there was this old ragged boy that was out there with a mirror trying to shine a light in one of those buildings. And the man was so intrigued by this, he asked him, he said, son, what you doing? He said, my brother was crippled in an accident a couple of years ago and he's lying flat on his back on that building and he can't ever see the sunshine. So I come out here, man, I come out here every day. Every day there's sunshine, and I get that mirror, and I try to shine some, some, some light into his window so that he can feel it, so that he can feel it. I think about that story, and I think that there's a world out there that's laying on their backs in brokenness, and we are called to remain steadfast, and we are called to shine the hope of the gospel into the windows of their souls. And in order for us to do this, we need to remain steadfast Plant our feet strong into Christ and not worry about what's going on around us. And so, brother, sister, what story is your life bringing? Are you trusting in Christ and are you giving your life away so that you can share the good news of the gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ to a lost and broken world who needs him? Because I promise you, the lost person, if they're looking at an old curmudgeonly person who has no joy in their life, who has no value, seemingly externally speaking, in their life because they are just so downtrodden and melancholy about everything. There's no hope seen in them, no joy seen in them, no thankfulness seen in them. The lost person looks at us and says, I don't want to be a part of that church that's always fussing and fighting and groaning and complaining. No, I want to be a part of something that could bring me hope. And your life tells a story. Your life tells a story. What story is your life telling? Are you full of hope? Are you full of joy? Are you full of thanksgiving? If you're not today, let me tell you, as believers in Jesus, we ought to be. Because look what he has done for us. He's already won. The victory's already been had. And we have much to be grateful for. So whatever you're going through today, my encouragement for you is to walk out of this place in a few moments with a different attitude, saying, Lord, ask that you'll help me. Ask that you'll help me to be marked by the things that bring your name glory. Can I pray for you? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy, your kindness that has been displayed to us. God, we know that there are many days where we struggle in these areas. And Lord, we realize that we are, we are human. And God, that will happen. But God, help us to have a pattern of godliness. God, help us to have a pattern that represents the joy of who you are in our lives. God, we know that if we're going to be leaders in the church, God, that no one wants to follow a leader who is walking in bitterness and anger, who is bound up. So God, help us to lead from a place of genuine love, genuine thanksgiving, genuine joy. God, for my brothers and sisters in this room who are battling serious worry and anxiety even in this moment, God, I pray that you'll help them to see that you are near and that you care, that there is absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing that you are not concerned about in our lives. And God, that we can bring to you anything, even some of the most difficult things that we contend with, we can bring to you and you care for us. 
And Lord, for that, we are so grateful. So be with us now, God, as we continue with this day. May you be glorified in and through our lives. Thank you most of all for salvation. We pray this in the powerful and in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.